Hello, and welcome to episode two of Taking the Scenic Route with Carolyn, the show where I have one topic, but it does take us a while to get there. So this week, I wasn't sure what I was going to discuss. So I asked my Instagram, I asked them, well, I thought it would be a much more serious question, but I asked them, what is one thing you always wanted to know about me, but never asked? And I was like, all right, we're going to get the good drama here. Um, We're going to get the good answers. But it turns out that my friends are mostly trash. (laughs) And the only only question I got asked was, um, would you rather fight 100 duck-sized horses or one one duck-sized horse? And, uh, well, that is the question, isn't it? that's actually on me because I didn't think of asking myself this a long time ago, but that's a pretty important life question. So, um, I guess let's, let's get around to answering. So this is a very complicated question actually, because like there's a lot of factors. Well, like for instance, what kind of duck and what kind of horse? Like, right. So There's like approximately 160 different species um, that are in the master genus or Anatidae, which is the genus that encompasses uh, ducks and geese and swans and intermingling-like species therein. There's 160 different types. Um, They share a lot of characteristics. They are largely characteristic characterized by being aquatic with webbed feet and a broad flattened bill and usually they nest on or near the water that's very broad and there are a lot of different ducks we could study some of them are bigger some of them are small like mandarin ducks in i think they're from china they they're a lot smaller than a common duck so let's see i live in the southern united states so for most realistic figures, let's use the mallard. Let's talk about the mallard duck, or otherwise known as Anas Pla. Oh man, this is going to be embarrassing. Platyrhynchos. Anas Platyrhynchos. Close enough. Somebody will let me know I've done it incorrectly. So a mallard duck or its Latin name, which I will not be saying again, is seen in most subtropic regions or sort of like warmer areas, including the southern United States, which is where I'm from. And on average, they're about 20 to 26 inches long. That's that's from right before where the beak starts to their tail. And um, the body not the head, makes up about two-thirds of the length. So they have a pretty small head. The wingspan, on the other hand, uh, so how wide they are when their wings are spread, it can be anywhere from 32 to 39 inches. And the bill is about 2.4 inches long. So this, right away, we're running into a question, like, am I talking about horses the size of a duck lengthwise, or are we talking about horses the size of a duck with its wings spread? Anyway, so a mallard is usually heavier than most ducks. It's about 3.5 pounds on the heavier end. So there, we have a baseline for a duck. So now horses. Now, I'm not entirely sure how you differentiate. So I asked, 
the internet. I was like, how many different species of horse are there? Well, interestingly enough, there's only one species of domestic horse. But there's around 400 different breeds. And they all specialize in different things from like pulling wagons to racing, speed to, to strength. And the one commonality I could definitely find was that all of them are grazers. They're all vegetarian and they eat grazed grass sort of things. Um, I'm sure they also eat like oats and apples, but left alone, they're grazers. Their sizes, on the other hand, across those 400 breeds can vary drastically. Um, anywhere from the height at the shoulders can be anywhere from 30 inches to 69 inches, which is like the difference between like a toddler and like a basketball player. Like that's pretty big. And their weight can vary anywhere from 120 pounds to 2,200 pounds. And again, that's pretty different. That's um, like my aunt to a, an elephant. So for generality and for commonality, I guess the species that Let's talk about the American Mustang, or the breed. The American Mustang isn't really a, a definite breed. The American Mustang is a feral breed of horse, which means that it lives in the wild, pretty much. And it is a mix match of a bunch of different breeds, though they are originally descended from the horses brought over by Spanish conquerors hundreds of years ago. But according to most research overall the fraction of them that is still primarily spanish horse is pretty small and now they are a mix of everything from quarter horse to there's there's like clydesdale derivant derivatives in some places they live all over the united states and they vary all over the united states so i don't know why i chose this breed as it's pretty hard to nail down a specific sort of uh I don't know, body type, but I will tell you this, this is interesting. So they were originally wild living and then people were like, oh, I, I love the Mustangs. I want to breed the Mustangs. I'm going to make the best American Mustang, the most American American Mustang, make American Mustang again is what was happening. And then it was sort of like ruining the breed. And also like they are a, they were a huge part of how America, well, how America stole the West from already existing indigenous cultures and settled it. Horses were a huge part of that. And so in 1971, the United States Congress recognized that wild free roaming horses and burros are living symbols of the historic pioneer spirit of the West, which continue to contribute to the diversity of life forms within the nation and enrich the lives of the American people, end quote. So now the free roaming horse population is managed and protected by the United States Bureau of Land Management. So they're not, um, for the most part, they don't capture the American Mustang anymore for, for breeding and racing and stuff. There might still be people that raise them and call them that, but for the most part, they're a feral breed and they roam everywhere. As far as average, I guess, statistical average, size and weight of an American Mustang, they are mostly small because they're built, they're foragers, they're feral, 
and they're usually 14 to 15 hands tall, which is 56 to 60 inches for the rest of you who also know nothing about horses. And they're usually, um, on average, even in herds with draft or thoroughbred in ancestry, they, they average at about 1,200 pounds. So they're not the biggest horses, but they're not the smallest horses either. They're the average. Now there is a smaller breed of horse. Um, the smallest breed I could find, it's called a miniature horse, which by definition of being a miniature horse, so it can be, um, it doesn't necessarily have to be a certain breed of horse that is small, but a miniature horse must be a maximum of 34 inches high um, at the shoulders. And on general, they weigh a max of like 250 pounds. So now we know the small end of horses and we know the big end of horses. So for now, we're going to say a horse size is 1,200 pounds and about 60 inches tall. All right, so now we have a few other things to consider because we can't just we can't just say oh one's bigger one's heavier because there's other stuff to think about and the one thing i kept thinking about the thing that really makes or breaks the steel is can the horse-sized duck fly that's worrying because it's if a horse-sized duck can fly that's going to cause me a lot of problems like just in the general fight because I'm not going to have suddenly developed the ability to fly. And if something that's like 60 inches tall can fly, I'm going to be a little worried. So let's think about it. What makes a duck able to fly anyway in the first place? So I asked and I said, well, what makes a duck fly? Well, here's what it is. Ducks have a lightweight skeleton that does have hollow bones, but it's also sturdily reinforced to endure the physical stress that flying imposes because they they take off so suddenly especially a dabbling duck <laughs> like the mallard it takes off explosively and it doesn't need a lot of run-up time so it puts a tremendous amount of stress on the bones of a duck so they have hollow bones but they're reinforced they have a breastbone keel that anchors the so it's it's called a keel because it's shaped like you've seen it and this is a little graphic to bring up but like at thanksgiving where where the wishbone sort of is that sort of v shape they call it a keel because it's shaped like a ship keel and it's there to anchor the flight muscles that are the pectorals of the bird that are attached to the wing they power flight and they fuse um they have fused wrist and hand bones that make their wings more rigid Okay, so that tells me how a duck at its normal size, which is about two feet long, about three feet wide with its wings extended, can fly. That's, that's you know, that's helpful. But what do, will that still work when it's 60 inches tall and significantly wider? Will that still work? Well, so it's hard to know what a horse-sized duck can do. So I had to think about other birds that might be approaching horse-sized. And so I thought about it and I said, well, ostriches are pretty big, aren't they? And fun fact, they are. A male ostrich can max out at about nine feet tall. And, you know, that does include their very long neck and aggressively small head. But, you know, it's pretty big. And they weigh around 350 pounds. 
and they also have hollow bones. But what's important here is that the ostrich doesn't fly. They run. They run very fast, as far as I've been able to tell. And I was like, well, why can't they fly? Is it because they're heavy? And it, part of that is, yes, they're very heavy. Um, but what makes an ostrich unable to fly is that they lack that keel-shaped breastbone that anchors the pectoral muscles that are attached to the wings. And what I don't know, what I didn't know, was that, is that like a consequence of being that big? Is it an evolutionary thing or, or can their weight just not support it? If you've ever seen ostrich, they have a very curved front, sort of turkey-esque body. So I get that. They're not shaped like a normal bird. So I looked. I was like, well, what about what about the evolutionary history of the ostrich? Well, it turns out that flightless big birds like ostriches and emus are, and cassowaries, are largely thought to have evolved separately from most birds. And they say that, you know, if you've ever watched Jurassic Park, then you know this, but they say that most birds evolve from dinosaurs. Well, Scientists, who are still looking because they don't understand why, seem to generally agree that they're evolved from reptiles. But the difference is they're evolved from a different evolution than most birds. And they believe that the evolution maximized weight and height and eventually they lost the ability to fly. And then that one flightless ancestor got split over multiple continents and evolved differently or multiple countries and evolved differently. And that's how we ended up with so many large flightless birds. So it's just a different dinosaur is why it can't fly. And I don't know how that would affect a duck, but I imagine that if the proportional wing size of the duck stays the same, when it gets to be 60 inches tall, that it won't be able to get itself off of the ground because most of it, its power is dependent on its ability to lift its hollow bones out of the, out of the water, off the land very quickly. And while that would work for a very small, light duck, I imagine that the strain would be too much because we're not talking about a duck that evolved to be the size of a horse. We're talking about a duck that is suddenly the size of a horse, I imagine, a magically horse-sized duck. So I don't think the muscles would be able to keep up with it. It might get briefly off the ground, but I think the strain would probably tear its pectoral muscles, and then it would be not only wounded, but unable to fly. So that answers that. Well, the next question I had was, okay, so when I fight either a hundred duck-sized horses or a horse-sized duck, where are we fighting? It's important. It's important. Where are we fighting? Because if we fight in the water and I am fighting the horses, not the duck, will I have an advantage? So I had to ask, how much do horses swim? So I asked, do horses even like to swim? I know they ford rivers or whatever, but can they swim? And it turns out that horses have a natural instinct to swim when they hit deep water. They paddle, not really, really paddling, but it, it looks like they're trotting 
but it turns out that they have a natural ability to float because their lungs are so large, it makes them extra buoyant. And so they can trot. They don't swim very fast. Um, they swim at a maximum of like four kilometers or an hour, which means that even if a horse is better able to swim than I am, I can run away. They're not very fast. And it takes them a lot of energy to swim, I imagine, because they're so inefficient at it. And so like a 10 minute swim for this teensy tiny duck sized horse is going to be exhausting. And he's going to want to either get out or he's going to pass out. Now, I would probably save the duck sized horse from drowning because horses cannot actually hold their breath. So if you get a horse's head underwater, they are extremely high risk of drowning. And I'm not here for animal cruelty. So yes, I would probably save the duck sized horse and toss it onto land and say, try again next year, buddy. You did real good. And then I would deal with its 99 brethren. My point is if it's in the water, it's probably not going to be a big deal. Now, if it's on land, that might be a little risky. They're very fast. They're very agile. But I like to think that they're not very aggressive. So I don't think terrain's going to be a big deal. The duck can swim very fast, but it can't use its feet while it's in the water. Which is like its primary like thing it would be able to hit me with. What's it going to do? Brush me with its wings? Hit me with its beak? It's in the water. Can't get to me. Anyway. And we already established it can't fly. I don't think the terrain's going to change it. Well, so here's the next question. I was thinking about saving the tiny duck-sized horse which of course I would do. And I guess if the horse-sized duck got into trouble and didn't immediately kill me when I tried to be gentle, I would save it too. So then I got to thinking, why are we fighting? I'm not naturally mean. I don't imagine that a duck-sized horse or a horse-sized duck would have any real problem with me unless I've stolen some cultural treasure from their admittedly strange magic tribe. So why are we fighting? So I, I, I wanted to think about why other people have fought animals because I'm sure, like they always talk about man versus nature. So I got to looking and there is actually a very famous animal versus man war. And it is the emo, the emu, not the emo war. That's, that's a different culture and the eyeliner supplies will never be the same. No, I'm talking about the emu war in Australia. And it happened in, like, the mid-20s through, like, the mid-30s. Um, and here's what happened. So, in World War I, Australia had a bunch of veterans. Then the war ended, and they came home, and they didn't have jobs, and they didn't have land. And they were all pretty much traumatized. Not that anybody knew that. They were, you know, shell-shocked. But what we now know is they had PTSD, and they'd seen a lot of shit, and they were pretty sad about it. So the government was like, well, we don't really want you hanging around being sad on the streets and making everybody else sad. So what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and give you all free land. That's right. We're going to give you a plot of land and you can start a farm and start your life anew. It'll be so easy peasy. And don't you love us, the Australian government? So they did. Unfortunately, the only plots available really were wild, untamed plots of land and the reason they were already unclaimed was because farming in parts of Australia, especially wild parts, is pretty hard. It's hard to start a farm in good land, but in bad land where you don't know what you're doing because you were a soldier, it's impossible. But you know what? They wanted a better life and they wanted a life after the war. So they tried. And some of them were doing pretty good. And then they discovered the other big obstacle to being a farmer 
in the middle of, of the wilds of Australia was the wild emus. There were tons of them. So many wild emus. Now, they had previously been a protected species, but they had rebounded pretty good, as you can tell, because there were tons of them. They were everywhere. And here's the real problem with a wild emu, is they had a real bad habit of going onto a farm and eating a wheat plant right down to the little bud by the nub, by the dirt. And this wasn't only a bad thing because it meant that the farmers didn't have anything to sell. It was a bad thing because they were happening to do it. After 1929, in the early 30s, when the Great Depression had just happened. So not only is everybody very poor already, wheat prices are going way down. So even if you sell all your wheat, you're hardly making a profit. Now they don't have any wheat to sell because a wild bird the size of a motorcycle stacked on top of another motorcycle is eating all of their wheat. So they went to the government and they said, excuse me, Mr. Government, I have a problem. This land you gave me happens to already be inhabited by Big Bird's angrier cousin. So the government was like, you know what? You're absolutely like, we're so sorry. We're so sorry. And the farmer's like, listen, we've tried to kill them. We're not very good at it. Um, they're very fast and we can't get a good lock on them. And we don't have a lot of ammunition because we're farmers. Well, the government was like, you know what? You're absolutely right. So they sent the military with... Um, with like automatic guns, with Tommy guns mounted onto cars. And the government was like, oh, this is overkill, but you know what? We're going to get it done. We're going to get them home and we're going to be so popular. Well, here's the problem is that, um, emus are very fast and they're very wily. And the Australian government was very unlucky. So they go out there for the first time and they try super hard. There's a giant herd of like 500 emus and they see them and they're like, oh yeah, we're going to get them all. It's going to be so great. So they start shooting. They hit one emu. All the guns jam and the emus start scattering. So they keep trying. They're out there for a week and they kill, I don't know, like 200, maybe, if that. I'm pretty sure they fudge the numbers. And they go back to the government and they're like, listen, man, we tried our best, but we used a quarter of the ammunition you've allotted us for, for and we got 200 emus. And the government was like, well, that's not great. That's not great. Here's more ammunition. Here's better guns. So they sent them back out. And they tried. They really did. But it took like 10 bullets to kill a single emu. And the emus were fast and not very bright. But also they had good instincts. So they would scatter fast, get out of the line of sight. Or they would ram the vehicles and disrupt everybody. So eventually the military was called off because it was kind of a financial drain. And they weren't being super effective. And the government started giving the ammunition directly to the farmers. They were like, hey, you know, we did try, but uh, here's more bullets. Uh, do your best. And the farmers did do their best. They, they did manage to scoop extra life out of those farms, but ultimately the emu war is considered a loss on the side of the Australian government because the emus are fine. They have a certain, they have a thriving population currently. There's about 700,000 of them in, uh, in Perth, I think, is where the, the primary subset of those plots was, was Perth, Australia. There's about a 700,000 animal population of emus still thriving. So they're not endangered, um, but they are protected. You're not allowed to kill them willy-nilly. I think they probably have a hunting season, but I'm not sure about that. Um, yeah, so Australia lost a war to the emus before World War II happened. It's pretty hard on morale, I imagine,
but nobody can win everything, I guess. So I guess if the question had been if I wanted to fight a horse-sized emu, I would have been like, no, thank you, absolutely not, I'm quite okay. So anyway, the question was, would I rather fight a duck-sized horse, I mean, a hundred duck-sized horses, or would I rather fight a horse-sized duck? Well, let's let's break it down what we've learned today. So a duck-sized horse, which depending on if you count the wingspan as the size or the length of the duck, would weigh approximately 150 pounds, as it does not have hollow bones and is not designed to be optimized for flight. So it's approximately sort of the same thing as a miniature horse. It's like a short miniature horse and a miniature horse weighs approximately 250 pounds. So a slightly smaller miniature horse, probably about 150 pounds. And it comes up to like, I don't know, my shins. All right, good to know. So it's a lot denser than a normal duck, but it's about the same size. A horse-sized duck would not be the same weight as a normal horse, which is about 1,200 pounds, but would more likely be closer in weight and power to an ostrich, which can come to around 9 feet, so it'd be a little bit shorter, and weighs around 300 pounds. Because the duck will still have hollow bones. It won't be as dense, it won't be as muscular, it won't have all that keratin that's in a horse hoof. So it's not going to weigh 1,300 pounds, it's going to weigh 300 pounds, but it will be the size of a, a short ostrich, a long, short ostrich. But it'll weigh about 300 pounds. So the difference, because there's, there's points on both sides for physical characteristics and maneuverability, but the difference here, and I think what's, what's really going to make this fight is that you really have to remember... The horse-sized duck will be mean. The duck-sized horses will have very little bones to pick with me. I mean, as long as I'm not being a dick, the horses are fine. But the horse-sized duck will fight me just because it can. It will annihilate me for funsies. If you play your cards right, you can probably like lay down around a duck-sized horse and take a cute little nap and get little horse cuddles and like braid their manes. And carry one in a purse. Get a Birkin bag. Put a put a duck-sized horse in your Birkin bag. Go to the mall, baby. Put flowers in their hair. Live your pony girl dreams. But a a horse-sized duck will look me directly in the eyes, and it will eat my soul. It will eat my soul, and it will like it. It will quack in joy afterwards. So absolutely no contest. I would rather fight the horses because I don't think they would fight me at all. So anyway, that's the answer to that question. Bye.